Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you speak to us through your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart ever be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. Well, what makes you angry? Did you get angry last week when you heard about the driver that ran over that 19-year-old girl and didn't stop? Did you get angrier when you heard that after doing that, he came back 10 minutes later and did a drive-by? Do you get angry when drivers cut you off in the traffic? Or when there are long bank queues and not enough tellers to serve you? Do you get angry if, like me, you got a text message about a week ago saying that I should vote yes in the same-sex marriage vote? And when you get angry, are you the sort of person that blows your top and everyone knows it? Are you the sort of person that lashes out with words or with your fists? Disturbingly, we've had about three fatal cases of domestic violence in just the last week. So for some people, anger is a real problem. Or are you the sort of person that fumes and bottles it up, holds it inside? Today, God really wants to challenge us about our anger, about what we get angry about and how we resolve that anger in a way that glorifies him. So I'm going to look this morning at God's nature to see where anger fits in, uh, to look at what gets him angry, uh, what gets us angry, and uh, what we should do with our anger and, and even consider how we can prevent anger in other people. But before I look at God, let's start with someone we know more tangibly. Who is Joe Wiltshire? One way to answer the question is to identify him. He's Ali's husband. He's the senior minister at Barney's Ingleburn. Uh, Or he's that guy over there. (coughs) Hiding in the corner. Um, A deeper way to answer the question, who is Joe Wiltshire, is to describe the characteristics of his personality. He's got a quirky sense of humour. He's passionately evangelical. He's a faithful expositor of the Bible. He's a board game tragic. (laughs) I asked him what makes him angry. And what do you think he said? Chris got the first one. Cheating at board games makes him angry. Tailgaters make him angry. Drivers who in their haste cut in and out of traffic. And church leaders who blatantly disregard the truth of the gospel and lead their people and the community away. That actually tells you a lot about his personality to know what makes him angry. 
And what gets us angry tells us a lot about our personality too. A harder question to ask is who is God? We could, he is identified in Hebrews 1 verses 2 and 3 as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Matthew 28, 19 describes him as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Essentially one God in three persons. But what is his personality like? Psalm 11 verse 7 tells us, For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. Apologise for the font size, hope it's uh, readable for you. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God proclaims his name and also describes his uh, character. This was in response to Moses asking to see God's glory. And God said to him, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the sin of the parents. Oh, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. That's quite a description. All those things about are about relationships. God is relational and he's emotional. He feels things and he feels them very deeply. And God shows himself to be consistently like that. And it begs the question, what makes God angry? He is our sovereign God. He makes the rules and we're meant to abide by them. To disobey God is to reject his sovereignty and claim it as our own. That was actually the problem back in the Garden of Eden with Adam. He was told he could have the fruit off any tree in the garden except that one. The temptation was that Adam and Eve will be like God, to be God's equal rather than his subordinate. And this was the very essence of getting on the wrong side of the one who is inherently just. And that pattern has continued through all humanity and into us. When we reject God's requirements, his just nature will be offended. He will rightly be angry with us. So what is his anger like? Psalm 2 verse 5 says he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. That's a bit scary. His wrath is terrifying. Exodus 15.7 says, In the greatness of your majesty you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. His anger is something he can choose to unleash. In Exodus 22, verses 22 to 24, it raises an issue that 
we see a, a, a number of times in the Bible. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you cry and they, if you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. People like the widow or the fatherless, those defenseless people, God's anger will be aroused if we mistreat them. In Exodus 32, 7 to 14, this is the time when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments from the top of the mountain and the Israelites did not do the right thing. Here's some excerpts of that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This shows us that God's anger is righteous. He has a right to feel that way, but he can also choose to relent. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we hear of God, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. God is slow to anger, but he can be forgiving of its cause. In Leviticus 26, 27 and 28, it says, In spite of this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile toward me. Then in my anger I will be hostile towards you, and I myself with punish, will punish you for your sins seven times over. That's telling us that God's anger comes after stubborn disobedience. We are the cause of that. In Numbers 14, 18 to 23, we read, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. God's anger can be mitigated, but his justice is unwavering. And in Psalm 108, sorry, 103 verses 8 to 12, 
we read something very familiar in prayer book confessions. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forgiver. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Even though our actions deserve God's anger, he's not just restrained, he's merciful. So God gets angry and he gets angry because he cares so deeply about us and about evil and about the damage we do to ourselves, to our world, to each other and to our relationship with him. Wouldn't you be angry if your family turned on you? But having said that, he doesn't just lose his temper at the drop of a hat. It's not a short fuse. It's slow to build. His anger is measured. It's fair and righteous. God's anger has those many facets. But what about us? What's our anger like? Why do we get angry? Genesis 127 tells us God created mankind in his own image and in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. It's unsurprising, isn't it, that we're hardwired to be emotional, relational beings like our creator. Often we get angry for exactly the same reasons that God does. Our sense of justice is offended. It's not a sin to get angry, but there is a right way or a sinful way to respond when we do get angry. But there's also another reason I think we get angry, and that's we're just unreasonably selfish and not bothering to consider another person's point of view. Ephesians 4.19 describes it as having lost all sensitivity. If you've got your Bible there, turn it back up, Ephesians 4, it was page 1135. And verse 19 said, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And those impurities can come out in the way we behave when we're angry. Our selfish anger is our old self that we were supposed to put off. It's re-emerging. So what should we do with our anger? There are right or wrong responses when we get angry. Basically, we make a choice. You imagine some of the situations where you've got angry. If the person that made you angry was a seven-foot hell's angel, would you react in the same way? Or would you curtail your anger and deal with it in a different manner? (laughs) As Christians, our whole-of-life approach should be to live in God's world, in God's image, God's way. If we see it as God's world, 
we would see him as our sovereign Lord and we will take our direction from him. If we're living in God's image, we will value God's inherent qualities like faithfulness, grace, love and mercy and we would strive to demonstrate them each day of our lives. If we aim to live God's way, we will be soaked in God's word so that we actually know what his way is and how it differs from our own default sinful state. The opposite to this life in God's kingdom is to live as part of the kingdom of this world, the way when we still had our old self on. We would see ourselves in charge of our lives, trusting in our own wisdom. Our core values are more likely selfish and self-centred. Our actions would be self-seeking and not for the benefit of others. Ephesians 4.17-19 through to 19 describes that type of life. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality to indulge in those impurities. Verse 31, though, is quite blunt about changing our response to things that anger us. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. The bitterness and rage is our feelings on the inside. The brawling, slander and every form of malice are the outward expressions of our self-righteous stance. And it's a choice that we make, much to our shame. So what's the antidote? Verse 23 says, be made new in the attitude of our minds. In prayerful deliberation, ask God to soften your heart, to rewire your mind, to recreate you in his image. An image where the fruit of the Spirit, like peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control become the characteristics of your person. I'd like to show you how the Bible contrasts right and wrong responses because God's very good at telling us here's the wrong way to go about it and here's a better way to go about it. In Proverbs 12:16, it says, A fool shows his annoyance at once. And Proverbs 14.16 says, A quick-tempered man does foolish things. It does us no good to have a short fuse. Alternately, James 1.20 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. The first thing that should happen is not something to come out of our mouths. The first thing that happened is that we should listen 
and see what's on the mind of the person we're in conflict with. Where are they coming from? Before we tell them where we're coming from. Galatians also paints quite a dichotomy. The acts of a sinful nature are obvious and some of them are not related to anger but hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions and envy. They're all parts, expressions of an angry, angry person. But God says, we are to be different. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And self-control is one of the things we most desperately need. Proverbs 15.1 also paints both two sides of a coin. A harsh word stirs up anger. So we can create the conflict by the way we speak. But a gentle answer turns aside wrath. So we can escalate the situation or we can de-escalate it. And words very familiar from what Andrew spoke to us last week. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths because that's often what happens when we're angry. Instead, only talk that is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And that's why the first thing we should do is being quick to listen so we can know the needs of another person. That's often the problem. If we don't know where they're coming from, then stuff will happen and anger will will be created. And the last example is about uh, the person whose manner of dealing with things that aggrieve them is to, to bottle it up and to fume. You can't hang on to that. It's not resolving the conflict. Matthew 18 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Notice that it's not saying when someone gets up your nose, go and whinge to somebody else. Don't go to a third person. It's saying go to the person just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen... Don't give up. Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Go and sort it out. Get a friend. See if you can work through the issue. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Not that we think ill of those who work at the ATO. This is a cultural thing. Pagans and tax collectors were people that you just did not associate with. So you may not be able to always resolve your anger. Maybe you just have to dust your feet and associate with them no more if it can't be resolved. So this last idea about bottling it up or going and sorting it out, that's tied up In verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians 4, it says, In your anger do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. What's that about? There's more in those verses than don't stay angry for long. If you hang on to your anger rather than sorting out the problem, what might that do to you? Well-known author John Piper says that we're nurturing our anger into a grudge and that Satan is just looking for the opportunity to attack the new heart that God has given us. A nurtured grudge makes us judgmental. But God says he is the judge. So why do we want that role? A nurtured grudge makes us unforgiving. But Christ forgave us of our wrongdoing and he expects us to do the same for others. A nurtured grudge makes us divisive. But the body of Christ is meant to be unified and characterised by Christ himself. A nurtured grudge exalts us in our own eyes and we're back to being wanting to be like God. It may not literally be on the same day that the source of your anger can be dealt with. But the message is, sort it sooner rather than later and cut Satan off at the pass. Don't give him access to your heart. The last thing I want to put to you is, uh, how can we prevent anger in others? We may not always succeed in that. But if we're likely to, we firstly have to have a mindset that isn't predisposed to anger. Verse 31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. If we approach a problem spoiling for a fight, we probably won't be disappointed. Proverbs 15.18 puts it very well. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Secondly, to prevent anger in others, make choices that line up with God's way. If we're serving others with love, we put others' needs before our own. If we're being empathetic, we're more likely to see the other point of view rather than just our own. Also, if we're going to be wise and make wise choices, not foolish choices, we're going to have to seek out wisdom from somewhere. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And our best advice comes from God, the source of all wisdom, and we find that in the Bible. Just look at the passion of the psalmist in Psalm 119 as he describes the worth of knowing God's direction in our life. This was page 598. He writes, With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. 
I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. You get a real sense, don't you, that he would be lost without it. And so should we be urgent and desperate to know the mind and the will of God for our lives and how we should live it. And we find that when we read our Bible. So in conclusion, anger is a natural emotion. It's part of our makeup. It's not an excuse or a vehicle for doing wrong to others. We can choose to handle our anger in a sinful or a godly manner. And like all things, if we try to do it on our own strength, using our own wisdom, we're bound to fail. We need God's wisdom and strength to not be ruled by our emotions, but instead to relate to people in ways that will bring honour and glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wisdom in your word. We thank you that you offer us a, a softened heart, a new mind, a created, a recreated self in your image. Help us not to use anger as an excuse to harm others. Help, a, help us to use that as an opportunity to display the fruit of the Spirit and to point others to Christ. These things we pray in your Son's name. Amen.